All right, so Galatians chapter five, we've been walking through the fruit of the spirit and a couple of weeks ago, uh, my dad jumped in with the series, he introduced the series uh, and we looked at, anybody know what the first week was? Love, last week we looked at, Chris preached on joy, that means this morning we're looking at gentleness, yeah. So you're like, wait, wait a second, I thought it was peace. It is, but we're going out of order. So this morning we're looking at gentleness, but as we set that up, I want us to look kind of the context a little bit. My dad set this up a few weeks ago, but some of the context of Galatians chapter five, and if you're looking for the book of Galatians, you can look at the table of contents at the beginning of the Bible, um, or it's, it's toward the back of the book. This is one of Paul's letters. He wrote 13 letters to the churches there in the New Testament, and so um, if you're looking for Galatians, it's there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And he says this, in chapter five, we're gonna pick up, I'm gonna pick up in verse number 19. And again, this is where all of the, these sermon series are coming from. Verse number 19, he says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is setting this up here, and you're like, how do we get from that? How do we get from orgies to gentleness? We will, just, just relax, we'll get there, all right? So maybe some of y'all would say, yeah, this doesn't look like the past week of my life. I've never been involved in this. None of these things, I'm like, eh. Here's what Paul is doing. He's saying the works of the flesh are the what? Everybody say what? These are the works of the flesh, and that's why he sets it up this way. If you notice here, as you look through the works of the flesh, these are all devoid. They're all absent of life. There's no connection with any of these things. When he talks about the works of the flesh here, but as we've seen, this is by and large a true reflection of the world around us. This is a true reflection, and this is where our flesh would love to go, is to the works of the flesh. But then notice as Paul turns this on, the, on his head, in verse 22, he picks up. He says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is, let's say these together, y'all ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, against such things there is no law. How much law is against these things? None. There is no law against these things. But if you notice, if you look back at verse number 19, he says, these are the works of the flesh, here in verse 22, he says, this is the fruit. So instead of saying works plural, he says fruit singular. Works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. And so what he's not doing here is saying, instead of living like this, I want you to live like this instead. Here's a list of things that the world says is valuable. Hey, I'm gonna give you a different list. Live up according to this list. That's not what he's saying. He's not combating or contrasting, comparing a what with the what. Here's what you do in the flesh, and here's what you do in the spirit. No, he's saying, here's what the flesh wants to do, and here's the question he's answering in verses 22 and 23. He's answering the question, how? This is how you are to live. Whatever life looks like, the way that we respond, how we live in the midst of life's circumstances, how do we live? With love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. He's saying this is how we are to live. This is not a list of virtues. It's like an apple tree. You don't see an apple tree that, keeps, that bears fruit by keeping the laws of what an apple tree does, right? 
An apple tree doesn't have to work really hard at obeying the laws of nature and thereby produce fruit. No, an apple tree is simply an apple tree. And you can look at an apple tree and there's fruit on it. You say, because there's fruit on that apple tree, I know that there is life inside of that apple tree. The fruit is the evidence of the life that's inside of it. And friend, this morning, if you walk away with nothing else, I want you to know that inside of you, if you have placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, you have inside of you his DNA. He has given you a new identity. You have his righteousness. You have the same standing before God the Father as Jesus Christ the Son. You have indwelling inside of you the Holy Spirit. That means inside of you, you have the power and the life of God. And out of that life and out of that power, out of that spirit, we're able to exude and express the fruit of the spirit. But it's not our own. It's the fruit of God's character residing in us. And as we've seen, and Paul said this up there in verse number 19, there are two different realms. One is the realm of the flesh, and one is the realm of the spirit. The only way that we can experience the fruit of the spirit is by living in this ideal realm, and this is a reflection of heaven. When we look at the fruit of the spirit, this is a reflection of what heaven is like. It's a, it's a true and better reality. It's not based on your works, but it's based on the work of Jesus and him alone. It's not based on your power. It's not based on your identity. It's based on what Christ has done. So here's the overarching theme that we've looked at for the past couple of weeks. And as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to see this week after week. It's this, is that you cannot live a supernatural life in your natural strength. There are two realities at play for each and every one of us. One is the realm that we see, and one is the unseen realm. One is the works of the flesh, and one is the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 for uh, most of this time. But if we see here, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, we're going to camp out on this one. What's the one we're looking at this morning? And all God's people said, gentleness. Yeah. And can I just tell you, the reason I, I wanted to preach on this one this morning, the reason I picked this fruit, this part of the fruit, uh, is because I'm terrible at this. Anybody anti-gentle people out there? Yeah, not just non-gentle people. And some of y'all who raised your hand, I'm like, yes, amen, yeah, that'll preach. But this one stinks for me. As I read through the fruit of the Spirit, what we know is this is not based on your personality because some of us are given a little more to being joyful. Some of us seem to be a little more loving. Some of us are given a little more to patience or faithfulness, and we're like, yep, that's my fruit right there. I'm gonna focus on that one. But notice the fruit is singular, and so if you are, if your disposition is toward one of those, that does not mean it's necessarily the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit all grows together. It's one fruit. So as we are growing closer to Jesus, be reminded this is not about your natural disposition. This is about the Spirit and presence of God within you. So if you're like, yeah, I'm a little, you know, gentle averse, I'd, I'd rather, let's, let's think about one of the others. Man, I'm with you. Like, that is my natural bent. And so this one has kicked me right between the teeth all week. Several folks have asked me, um, hey, how are, you, how are you doing this week? I'm like, man, I've been kicked between the teeth. I, I said this to several folks with this word gentleness and what gentleness means. It stinks. I don't like it. It'd be so much easier and more fun if gentleness was not part of the fruit of the Spirit. All right? Everybody with me? So if I step on your toes, just know that my feet have been stomped on all week by the Spirit. All right? So here's how we're going to define gentleness this morning. 
is this, strength under control. So if you're looking for a good basic definition of gentleness, it's strength under control. A few different synonyms that maybe you find throughout the scriptures uh, would be considerateness. Paul uses that. Meekness is a very similar word. And a lot of times, even in our translation, the word that's translated for meekness is also the same word that we can use for gentleness. The difference, though, is meekness is my inner disposition when uh, something that's happening inwardly to me, and when something happens to me, I'm not going to respond in a way that I want to lash out. That's meekness. Gentleness, on the other hand, is something that comes out of me, and I do respond in a gentle manner. You see the difference? One is proactive. I'm going to be gentle no matter what the situation is. One is meek. I'm not going to respond in and out of my sin, okay? Meekness is a synonym for that. Reasonableness, Paul uses that several times, it can also be defined as big-hearted or tender. So that's the definition we're going to use for gentleness this morning. And even as you look back at the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek here that we see, this word gentle literally means the way that they would use it is to take a wild stallion and to break that stallion of its own power, of its own desire, of its own preferences. And so that power of the wild stallion is still there, but now it's using it for someone else's good and benefit. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three, Paul writes this. He says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all what? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And we've already seen that a couple weeks ago, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So this word gentleness is put there. Paul is really, it's really closely related to humility. W.E. Vine, a pastor, he, he defines gentleness as this, the trait that allows us to look humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case, not insisting on the letter of the law. Billy Graham, you may be familiar with his name, he defines gentleness as gentleness is meekness in dealing with others. It displays a sensitive regard for others and is careful never to be unfeeling for the rights of others. In other words, gentleness is being aware of the feelings of others and asking in the moment, what is the best thing for the other person? What is best for the other person? Isaiah chapter 40, uh, it says this, he will tend his flock, speaking about Christ, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And let's read this word together. And gently lead those who are with young, the gentleness of Christ. Psalm 23, you may be familiar with this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Notice here the gentleness of this good shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For whose name's sake? For his name's sake. Deuteronomy chapter one and verses 30 and 31. So sometimes when you think, okay, Jesus is gentle, but what about the Old Testament God? Yeah, this is from the Old Testament. That's why I want to put these in here. Deuteronomy 1. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. So we see the strength there of God, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. He carried you as a man carries his son, like a little baby. All the way that you went until you came to this place. This idea of gentleness, the picture here that we see is this idea of stooping down. I don't have to stoop down, but I, I have the opportunity to stoop down because that's what the person needs. 
for the sake of that sheep, for the sake of that son, for the sake of that person. He says to be gentle to help someone else. There are only two people in the Bible who are called gentle. Anybody want to take a gander at one of them? Jesus, yep, if anybody ever asks you who is, whatever, fill in the blank, it's either Jesus or Judas, okay? So that was a good one, so we're going to go with Jesus. Does anybody know the other person who is called gentle or meek in the, in the entire Bible? Only two people, Jesus and? Say it louder. But I heard it. Everybody's like, there are a lot of people in the Bible, man. I've read those genealogies. I've got like a one in 14 billion chance of being right. So the other person was actually Moses. The other person, the only other person the Bible calls meek was Moses from the Old Testament. Here's what Numbers chapter 12 and verse number three says. Now the man Moses was very meek. Again, that word could be translated gentle there in the ESV if we wanted to. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now somebody help me out here with Moses. Did Moses ever act in a non-gentle way? How? Say it again. Okay, hold on. One at a time. One at a time. I'm just kidding. What did he do? He slaughtered. Yeah, he killed people. He killed Egyptians, right? What else? You're like, okay, that's all I know about Moses. All right. He broke the tablets. Remember, he goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments on these two tablets. And what does Moses do? He comes back down and he sees the folks engaged in what we just read about in verse number 20, in this giant orgy feast. They're not worshiping God. He takes the Ten Commandments. He literally breaks all Ten Commandments right before the people. Remember that, the stone tablets? And then he goes back up on the mountain. He's like, hey, God, uh, remember those those Ten Commandments that you gave me? What does God tell him to do? You write them down this time. He makes Moses write them down. Yeah, anything else? Yep, he made them drink you know, the water that was bitter from the, from the golden calf. What else? He hit the rock. Yeah, God said, speak to the rock and I'll give you water. He hits the rock out of anger. The Bible says he did that out of anger. What was the result of his anger right there? He didn't go into the promised land. So we have here a dude, uh, I forget, uh, Jack Nicholas. Was he the actor or Jack Nicholson? I always forget. Jack Nicholson. See, I only watch Christian movies. So Jack Nicholson, back by the time I graduated high school, uh, he was in that movie Anger Management, right? They could have cast Moses for this role. The dude dealt with so much anger. And yet, what does Numbers call him? Which, by the way, who wrote Numbers? Moses did. Yeah, a little ironic. You know, (laughs) Moses wrote the the book of Numbers, and he says, I was the most meek person in the world. So I had you, but at that point, now you're like, oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, it's in the Bible. I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get to heaven. But Moses is the most meek person on the whole face of the planet, and he was one of the most angry people. Here's what it means, is that Moses was a teachable individual. It also means this. Lest you think this morning, ah, gentleness, that's for somebody else. I'm way too angry. May Moses be our guide. He killed Egyptians out of anger. He smashed golden calves when people drink water. He hit a rock when Jesus said, speak to the rock. He was an angry, angry. He literally broke all 10 commandments simultaneously, you know. Yet he was meek. Here's what that means. In order for us to exude the fruit of the spirit, we need the spirit. We need the power of God in us, within us, indwelling us, moving through us. 
In fact, when Jesus Christ was on earth, how many times did he sin? Zero, that's right. He didn't sin at all. It says that Jesus Christ, even before he was born, was filled with the Spirit. When he began his ministry, he was filled with the Spirit. All throughout, when he was doing miracles, he was filled with the Spirit. When he went to the cross, he was relying on the Spirit. When he was raised from the dead, who raised him from the dead? The power of the Spirit. And in love, he says, I'm going to send you the Spirit, which means this, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be gentle. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit while he was in this life, so do we. It'd be like this pair of gloves here. Da, 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 da. So imagine this pair of gloves right here, just a normal pair. So imagine this is you, and you say, all right, all right, gloves, here's what I need you to do. Here's what you were made to do. Here's what you were designed to do. You were designed to do work. And so if gloves, if you could, we still have a few different projects around the building here. Okay, these are work gloves, like the heavy-duty ones, the $3 ones at Home Depot, all right? So here's what I need you to do, gloves, is go out here and finish doing the sheetrock and go out there and finish up Richard's office. I saw that it wasn't quite complete. He's got a monitor you know, on the wall, and that's just so he can uh, watch the office all day. And so he's just streaming that, so he thinks his office is done. But hey, hey, Gloves, if you can go do that, that would be awesome. Come on, Gloves, you can do it. Like, you're, you're made to work. Go do the work. <sighs> They're not going to do it. Here's what, we, here's what we do with our Christian lives. So imagine for a second these gloves are you. Here's what we do. We're like, man, I need to do all the right spiritual stuff. All right, gloves, you see the Bible? Here's the identity that you have in Christ. Here you go, gloves. I'm going to set the Bible right beside you. All right, and at this point, you should get it. All right? All right, gloves, you've been, you figure it out, by, you know, gloves. You, you can understand the Bible is right there. It's accessible. You have access. To, here, gloves, you want me to help you? Here, just hold the Bible with this hand, and we're going to turn the pages. There you go, gloves, and you figured it out. Maybe, maybe in your spiritual life, you're like, man, I just, I just can't walk with Jesus. I just, you know, here's what, I, I just need some encouragement. Hey, real quick, can we encourage these gloves to grow? Come on, let's, let's do it, let's go. Let's clap for these gloves. Come on, gloves, you can do it. We wanna encourage you with Jesus. Uh, you're like, maybe I need to be a better disciple. All right, gloves, let me tell you about how to follow Jesus. Let me tell you about how to, how to do this. What you need to do, go to the next page. Maybe you're like, man, you know what I need? I just need to be in more community. Maybe that's the problem with my spiritual life. I need to be in greater community. Well, thankfully, I brought a whole community of gloves for this one pair of gloves, all right? So we're gonna fill these gloves with community. Look at all these other gloves we have. Yeah, all right, all right, gloves. Are, are you able to do what you are supposed to do now? Like, you're in community. You've got the Bible. We, we've discipled these gloves. We encourage these gloves. And maybe you look at your own life. You think, man, I've had those different things, different points in my life, and I'm still not following Jesus. I'm still not in love with the one who created me to be in relationship with him. Man, what is wrong? Can I tell you what's wrong? These gloves will not work until a living entity fills them. The only way that these gloves are going to be able to grow in love or joy or gentleness or closer to Christ, or the only way these gloves, the only way that you are going to be able to grow as a better husband or wife or parents or child, the only way is if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, these gloves by in and of themselves are powerless. But as soon as I take this glove and I put it on, 
Oh, man, and I hang out with Bitten Belk for like 10 years. Now this glove is useful to go finish Richard's office. Now this glove can be used for the way that it was designed. This glove was designed to be used in a particular way. Friend, you have been designed in a particular way, but you must be filled with the Spirit. It is only at that point that you will understand the meaning and the purpose of your life. Otherwise, we can keep talking to you. You can keep showing up. You can keep giving. You can keep being part of a life group. and You can do all of the stuff. But if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not find life in Christ. That's it. So we see here, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll leave that there. It comes from him. So we have the definition of gentleness. Secondly, I want us to see the counterfeit. Here's the counterfeit of of gentleness. The counterfeit is affirmation or niceness. Maybe spinelessness is the word that I have there on the screen. Maybe another counterfeit is timidity. You're just really timid, a coward. Maybe you avoid folks. Maybe some of y'all are, hey, I'm going to live and let live. They do their thing, I'm going to do mine. We call that gentleness because, hey, at least I'm not harsh. At least I'm not harsh. What we do is we avoid. And we call it gentleness. In Galatia, which is where the book of Galatians is written to, the people there in Galatia, in Galatia, in Rome, in Greece, humility and gentleness were actually seen as a vice. They were actually seen as a negative characteristic. And so when Paul is here writing, he's saying, hey, put on gentleness. Let the love of Christ flow. Like, yeah, we get love. We don't understand gentleness. It was actually seen as negative because a true man was seen as being strong and mighty and a warrior and a winner and a superhero and an athlete. And it sounds like our movies, right? And it sounds like the way that we characterize manliness and manhood for many of us. Gentleness, bad. Strong, strength, harsh, Good. And for many of us, we've adopted that view of the culture. Aristotle actually put it this way, philosopher. He, he said that gentleness is the golden mean. It's the golden mean, which means it's right there, the average. It's right in the middle between extreme anger and extreme apathy. He said it's not either one of those, so I guess we'll just call it this. Here's the problem is gentleness is not a negative. It's not not something. Gentleness is a positive. It moves towards someone in a particular manner. It moves towards someone in love. For the sake of that person, it stoops down. The world can't understand this. Here's another quote from George Bethune. I think he was a maybe 19th century Dutch reformer. He said this, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than as a Christian virtue. In other words, he's saying some people are gentle, some people aren't. It's hard to say. If you got it, you got it. If you don't, don't worry about it. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. Did that get anybody's toes? Seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is a sin. So we have the definition of gentleness. 
We have the counterfeit, that which seems gentle, but for many of us it actually is not. And now I want us to see the opposite of gentleness. And here's how we're defining the opposite of gentleness. It's prejudice. It's being aggressive, rigid, callous. It's to discriminate. It's exacting. It's harsh. There's strict justice. As soon as I see your face, I'm already setting up, oh, here's, here's what's wrong with this person. When I say I see your face, uh, when y'all walked in this morning, and all of us do this, I see your face. If you look a little angry or confused, I'm like, oh, man, what's that person angry about? What, what did I do? What, well, so I'm going to avoid that person. Or I'm assuming that that person is angry based on their face. They may, you know, they may have RBF, I don't know, you know, resting Baptist face. And, and I'm just assuming this person is really angry. So without asking them anything, I'm just jumping to the conclusion, oh, this person's angry. So instead of saying, hey, how are you this morning? How, how's life going? No, I make a conclusion based on this person's face, and I come at them just ready to go amped up. Maybe I see this person's face, and it's a different color than mine. I jump to the conclusion Here's what they believe. Here's who they voted for. Here's the way that they live. Here are their values. When I see a person who's dressed differently than me or who has on a different school mascot than me or who is a different age, a different age category than me. Someone you can just tell they're different. Gentleness goes to curiosity. Let me be curious about this person's story. Let me be curious about this person's past. Let me be curious about what the Spirit may be up to in this person's life. The opposite of gentleness is prejudice. So instead of being curious about this person, prejudice jumps to a conclusion about this person. Well, this person is white, so they must think that they're entitled. This person is black, so this is where we disagree. This person is poor, so this must be how they got there. This person is needy. I wish they had made better life decisions. That person is rich. They must have everything figured out. They think they're better than me. Whatever it is. This person is, a, you know, they're the generation before me. They must be ignorant. This person is the generation behind me. They must be lazy. Everybody, everybody there? If you are, just go like this. We all do that. We look at someone, boom. We size them up immediately without being gentle, without being curious, without asking a question. I'll prove it to you. If you still, you still think I'm a little off, anybody, has anybody ever pulled out in front of you while you've been driving down the road? Anybody? It, it, what's your first instinct? I, I usually just give them, you know, a, real, a thumbs up, you know, or something like that. I love to know they're number one. But I do that from a place of anger not gentleness. And why am I angry? What do you do? Where's your mind go next? They must have done that because they're a woman. Or they must have done that because they're a man. They think they own the road. They must have done that because they got a little car. They couldn't afford anything bigger. They must be poor. They must be black. They must be Asian. They must be this. They They must be a man. They must be young. They must be old. They don't know how to drive. They can't see. Whatever it is, your mind goes there. Boom, just like that. You're prejudiced. There's a harshness when something happens to you. And the fruit of the Spirit is not what we do, it's how we live with a spirit of gentleness. If I get something wrong, what do I do? My eight-year-old, Kingston, hey, hey, King, you weren't supposed to do that. He goes, my bad, my bad. But so help me God, 
if Axel does something wrong or takes some of his ice cream, I mean, he raises hell. He's just, I can't believe that. Like, literally, hell is raising. Like, it's getting closer, like, to my house. I'm like, no, 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 keep it away. He goes ballistic. Why? Because if I make a mistake, that's what it is. Oops, my bad. If you make a mistake or if I think you did based on what you look like, based on how you sound, whatever it is, then that's, I'm going to start judging your character. I start giving you an identity based on externals rather than saying, man, this is a person created in the image of God. Maybe that person's having a terrible day. Maybe that person has never experienced true gentleness in their entire life. We have here gentleness. We have what it is, what sometimes we think it is, and the exact opposite of it. I want us to go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, here's what Jesus says in verse number 28. I'm going to camp out here for the next few minutes. But notice Matthew 11 and verse 28. He says, come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Man, doesn't that sound good this morning? Some of you are like, what? No, I was. I was just resting. <laughs> I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's what Christ is doing here. He's contrasting his own way with the way of the teachers of the Mosaic Law. You see, the Pharisees, the most religious people in his day, they were treating this relationship with God like a yoke, which is this giant piece of wood that would go across oxen. Like this. It's really heavy. The true embodiment of the law, however, when Jesus is speaking here, he's like, man, the relationship with God is one of wholesomeness. It's a positive relationship. Relationship with God, the law, was meant to be one of love. It was one to be meant of generosity. It's meant to be a good thing, something we desired. I mean, it's a relationship with God. Isn't the law a beautiful thing? But here's what the problem is. He's calling it a yoke because the opposite of that beautiful relationship is self-righteousness. It's this religious Man, look how good I am. It's looking down on other folks. It's arrogance. It's harshness. It's prejudice. This person didn't meet my standard. Therefore, based on my preference, I'm writing this person off. But Christ's greatest strength was his gentleness. You see, because those who were most religious, they saw those who were poor, those who were the outcast, and they, they left them. I think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. They want to get by them. They want to walk by them. But Jesus Christ, he made time for those who had been bullied, those who had been belittled, those who had been disregarded by the rest of society. Those are the ones that he came to save. And if you look at the next chapter, Matthew 12, verse 20, this is up on the screen. This is Matthew quoting from Isaiah. He says this about Jesus in verse 20. He says, a bruised reed, talking about he, God, Jesus, will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. It's like, man, what does that have to do with anything? What he's talking about here, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, it refers to people who are weak, who are struggling, who are spiritually sick, who are lacking in their faith, and they need greater faith. 
Anybody here this morning, you're like, man, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah. You're not going to grow in that belief by doing more, by saying, here's the law of God. All right, let me go through and, and let, me, let me check those things off. Man, that's going to be great. I can do more. He said, no, that's what the religious folks were doing. But my yoke is easy. This is actually the only place in the entire scripture that Jesus describes the nature of his heart. Is Jesus love? Yes. Is he joy? Yes. Is he peace? Yes. Patience? Yes. This is the only time in all of scripture that Jesus says, my heart is lowly and it's gentle. It's the only aspect of the fruit of the spirit where it's ascribed particularly to Jesus by himself. It's the only place. It's remarkable. And here's the thing. If you are someone who is weak, who is lowly, who is wanting, you don't go to someone who has a heavy hand who is going to respond harshly to you, do you? If you're weak, if you're struggling, you go to someone who is humble, who is going to be compassionate and gentle with you. Jesus is saying, man, I am here. I came for those who are weak. I came for those who are struggling. I'm not here to condemn you. I think about the, the Samaritan woman, John 4, who's there at the well. Jesus goes and sits with her, and he's curious about her. He doesn't say, whoa, whoa, you've, been, you've had five, four husbands, now you're with your fifth? What in the world, woman? He asks questions. Philippians 2, he says, he humbled himself, even to the point of death, he comes down, he identifies with us in our weakness by becoming humble and gentle, because that's the only way that we can relate to God. A harsh word or a cruel look is enough to break our spirits. As we, as we wrap up this idea of gentleness, as we, um, if, I, if you want to walk away with something, here, there are five statements or principles that you can, you can write down, you can take pictures of, whatever it is. Five things that I want us to remember about gentleness. The first one is this. While a harsh word or a cruel look is enough to break our spirits, Jesus invites us to experience perfect gentleness, which is exactly what we need. We are the ones who are weak. We are the ones who are suffering. We are the ones who need his gentleness. We're the ones who are fragile. It's like we're walking around like this. For every single one of us, we're all walking around. You know, you forget a, a box in the mail and it says handle with care. And what's the percentage of the time that they actually do that? Yeah, like zero, right? Handle with care. And the whole thing is like busted up. Man, that's us. We are fragile individuals. All of humanity is fragile because of our sinfulness. Here's what Dana Orland says in his book, uh, gentle and lowly. He said, Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. When we think about God, what do we normally think of? This? A scrunched up face pointing at you? How dare you? What is wrong with you? Maybe we, maybe we think about the, uh, an image of God and he's like, what? Again? How could you? Friend, that's not, the, that's not a biblical view of Jesus. A biblical view of Jesus is one with open arms saying, come to me. All of you who are weak and heavy laden, all of you who have tried to do it by yourselves, come to me and I will give you rest. I've done the work necessary for you. It is my spirit that fills you. 
the real synonym here is one of salvation. All who are weak, all who are struggling, all who are stumbling, come to me and I will give you salvation. I will give you salvation. And the promise of heaven is rest when we deserve hell. Friends, separation from God is our biggest problem. Salvation is our only solution. And the only way that we step into salvation is through faith and hope in Jesus Christ. We are condemned because of our sinfulness. We are traitors. We are rebels. We are enemies with God. We're broken. We're fragile people. Here's what Psalm 103 says. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Can everybody right there just say, praise God? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children. We read this earlier during the time of confession. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. And real quick, that word fear right there, you're like, oh yeah, I told you, he was scary. That word fear means to worship him, to value him. It literally means to awe him. Those who are like, man, he is magnificent. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Here's the second thing. To grow in gentleness, we need to remember our need for gentleness, that we are all fragile, that we're all broken. We need someone who is gentle to deal with us. That's our need. Secondly, we need to remember our source of gentleness. It's only by the Spirit that we can respond to others who are also, who also have this label of fragile, handle with care on them. Our need and our source of gentleness. And some would say, okay, how do I actually grow in gentleness? Can you give me the steps of how to be gentle? Here are the steps of how to be gentle right here. You're like, whoa, there actually are steps. The first one is this, growing in your intimacy with God. Growing in your intimacy with God. As you draw closer to the presence of Christ, then you become aware of the areas and the times of when you are not being gentle. As you grow in your awareness of the gentleness of Christ and of how you are not gentle, and you can apply this to any part of the fruit of the Spirit, you're aware of when you are not being gentle then it leads us to repentance. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Here's your character. Here's who you are. Here's the way I acted. Here's the way I lived. I'm aware of this now because I'm experiencing your presence and your interaction with me. Repentance is turning from those areas of sin and turning back to the presence of God. When we, re- when we repent, then it brings us back into what? Greater intimacy with God and with others. So you say, man, I want to grow my intimacy. Awesome. Grow in your intimacy. Sorry, I want to grow my gentleness. Great. Grow in your intimacy with who God is. Allow the spirit to be formed in you. The world says, work on your character. Work on your character. You see this? Let's just say the world value gentleness. Let's just say that for a moment. The world says, okay, try to be more gentle. Try to be less harsh. Try to be less prejudiced, which we see that all the time, right? Hey, can we just, if we want to grow in gentleness, the world says, hey, just do your best at that. What does Christ say that is? That's a yoke. Man, I'm so tired of doing that. Have you ever seen an apple tree trying to work on its character? No. What does the apple tree do in order to produce fruit? 
It abides. It's connected to a limb that's connected to the trunk, that's connected to the roots there in the ground. That apple never says, hey, let me just see if I can be an apple today. I'm appling my way. No. It's abiding. It's resting in its identity. John 15 says, those who want to bear fruit, come and rest in me. Come spend time with me. Come be intimate with me. If you want to grow in your gentleness, grow in your intimacy. The third thing is this. People are at rest and they are at ease around the Christian who is gentle. They are at rest. They are at ease around the Christian who is gentle. And here's the thing. I'm not built to absorb your sin. You're not built to absorb my sin. We as individuals are not built to absorb each other's sin. But if you are in Christ, he absorbs that sin. He responds to us with gentleness. And he moves through us in gentleness. So how do we live? The power of the Spirit moves through us. And instead of us absorbing the sin of others, the harshness, the prejudice, the belligerence, whatever it is, we, we receive that, we take it to Christ. Christ, I want to respond this way. Can I just let you know right now that, that I've been sinned against? Can I let you know right now that I want to respond to that person in harshness the way that they treated me? But a gentle answer turns away, what? Turns away wrath. The only way that we can do that is by running to the cross and saying, Spirit, move through me. And now, because of the gentleness of Christ to us, we're able to respond in gentleness to that person. Isn't that good news for us this morning? I know for me it is, somebody who doesn't really love gentleness. The fourth thing is this. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, those around you will be fed by you. If not, they'll be fed up with you. If you're confused about which one you are, just ask your spouse or your kids or your friends. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit is not for you. It's for them. It's for others. If you look at even Moses' life, probably one of the angriest dudes who ever lived, and also called the meekest in all the Bible, every time that he was meek and gentle, it had to do with other people. He was standing up for others. He was compassionate in the ways that he dealt, dealt with others. Not always, but it was always a communal thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of those, they can only happen in a community. It's for the sake of others. The fruit of a tree is never for the sake of that tree, ever. That tree never takes that fruit and says, let me consume the fruit. No, someone else always does. If you treat others with respect and courtesy, can I just tell you this? You'll be mocked by the church. If you treat others with love and courtesy and with gentleness. Those within the church, those outside the church, those who call themselves Christians will mock you. When we, when we begin to treat those of other races, those of other political parties, those of other socioeconomic levels and stratus than us, the church will begin to mock us. Man, can you, wait, you're associating with that person? Do you know who that person voted for? Did you see the sign of that person? Did you see what they posted on Facebook? Did you see what kind of picture they put on Instagram? Can you believe that they did that? All those questions, by the way, were asked of Jesus. Can you believe? Why would you do that? That person's too right-wing. That person's too left-wing. Left 
Friends, I'm, I'm for both wings. You ever, you ever seen a bird try to fly with just one wing? It goes in a circle, right? Th- this world is not our home. Our identity is not in being white, black, Republican, Democrat, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you want to call it. It's not in being a Calvinist or Arminian. It's not being in being a man or woman, being young, old, rich, poor. It's not in any of those things. Our identity is only in Christ. And if our identity is Christ, then we will move toward others with gentleness. Here's the fifth thing, I guess. We will be tender without surrender. And I'm speaking on behalf of Chris Brown this morning and all the other pastors of South Point. We as a church, we will be tender without surrender. You say, yeah, but this person says this is what's good for them. It's good for me to call them uh, by their preferred pronoun. It's good for me to do whatever it is. That's what they say. We're going to be, we're not going to surrender the word of God at all. Our tenderness falls under the authority of Scripture. And what's good for that person, by the way, may contrast with what they say is good for them. If it is out of line with what the Word of God says, it is not good for them. But we can, with tenderness, with gentleness, go and be curious about that person's life. Some, I hear this all the time, right? Oh, man, you know, uh, John 4, again, Samaritan woman. There's... You know, God, Jesus goes and says, I want to worship in spirit and in truth. There's grace and truth on both of these sides. It's like, I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a truth person than a grace person. Oh, really? Well, so is Jesus, and he didn't look anything like you. There's not, it's not a balancing act. It's not one or the other. It's both. We move toward those with tenderness without surrender. A couple of questions. And these questions stink. <laughs> Am I dogmatic? Opinion, and this is for you to ask. You don't answer these for me. Got it? All right. I already know the answer. I don't need your help. Am I dogmatic, opinionated, blunt, or abrupt? Do I seek to intimidate others by sheer force of my personality? Do people feel uneasy in my presence because they think I'm silently judging their weaknesses and correcting their faults? Those might be a sign that you are lacking in gentleness. Titus chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this to Titus. And this is, he's speaking to the church, but he's speaking particularly to those who are um, leaders in the church. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And that's talking about external rulers there in the nation. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Is gentleness among the most noticeable qualities of the church leaders, writers, bloggers, posters, whoever it is, is gentleness among the most noticeable qualities of those spiritual leaders that you love so much? Or, man, can watch this video. This guy let him have it. Is it one of the most noticeable qualities for us as a church, for South Point? Is gentleness, if someone were to ask about your life, is it one of your most noticeable qualities? When we recognize our need of gentleness, we go to Christ. He is gentle toward us. And then we become co-gentle with him. We're only able to grow in our gentleness toward others when we understand our need and our source of gentleness. 
The last verse, John 15, verses 15 and 16, it says this. Notice the language here, the identity language. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you what? I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Whatever you ask the father in my name, I may give it to you. The only way that you could ask somebody for something like that, for whatever, is if they are your friend or your father. Do your kids ever ask you for ridiculous stuff? Mine do all the time. And I'm like, bro, you think I'm rich? They're like, well, I'm like, I am rich compared to the world, but not compared to, you know, wanting a brand new F-250, you know what I mean? They ask for ridiculous stuff. But Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father is going to give it. So what do we need to do in order to get gentleness? What do we need to do? We ask. That's it. If your desire this morning is to grow in gentleness, I want this to be our prayer, and this is up on the screen. This is real simple. God, if there's more, I want it. Some of y'all this morning, I know for me, even as I wrote this a couple weeks ago, this phrase, this sentence, I thought, well, of course there's more of God. I don't have all of it. I can reason my way around this sentence and say, here's why it's theologically maybe inaccurate. But deep in our hearts and in our souls, we need to pray this prayer so that our hearts will be ministered to by a spirit of gentleness. So I'd ask you just for a moment, if you want to, uh, you, can, you can extend your hands just to receive this as a posture of receiving the gentleness of Christ this morning as a physical reminder to you. But I want us to pray this prayer together and just for a moment sit in the presence of Christ. And I want us to ask, God, if there's more, if there's more of your love, if there's more of your joy, if there's more of your gentleness, I want it. We desire your gentleness. We yearn and we long and we need the gentleness of a good Savior, of a good shepherd who stoops to hold us. With whatever understanding we have had of gentleness coming in, Father, we want more of that. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. May that be your posture this week. Friend, the invitation this morning is to a gentle shepherd. The invitation this morning is to salvation. The invitation is to one of rest. The invitation this morning is to life. So I would plead with you. If you, you say, man, I'm in Christ, awesome. May we grow in gentleness together. Some of you say, man, I, I've never turned from my sin and repented for the very first time. And I would invite you to a gentle savior, one who's not gonna say, man, look at your past. That's way too bad for me to save. No, he's gentle. He says, yeah, I died for you also. Respond to him in faith. I would plead with each and every one of you, myself included, that we would fall on the mercy of God that we need so badly.